0: This audio recording is presented by City Church Orlando. Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Bill. Please be seated. morning. My name is Ted Sin, and uh, let me welcome you again uh, to City Church. I feel disheveled uh, not only are my clothes disheveled, um, but I was having technical difficulty this morning. I had a hard time getting here. I, I always am frustrated to not be here to greet you, to see you, uh, to sing with you, and, and to sing all the songs with you and to pray with you. Uh, so I definitely feel disheveled, but as I walked in, I heard down in the lobby, I've never had the experience of walking into the Sinesta when you were already in here, gathered together in the name of Jesus by the power of the Spirit to worship him. And what I heard is, your grace is enough. And uh, amen, I'm I'm excited, I lean into that reality, Um, I need that reality this morning. Um, Last week, uh, we started a um, a multi-week, probably multi-month series, uh, most definitely a multi-month series, Lord willing, in the book of James. The book of James, or the letter of James, is uh, believed to be the first New Testament book. Um, that was written sometime in the mid-40s, about a decade after Jesus' uh, resurrection and ascension. And James, like, um, like a lot of the other New Testament books, it's an epistle, it's a letter, as you can see in verse 1. It's from someone to someone. But James is more like the Old Testament wisdom literature than it is the New Testament epistles or even, uh, and it's more like Old Testament wisdom than any other book in uh, the New Testament. And so for that reason, we're going to study James very similarly to how we studied the book of Proverbs. I'm not going to go through verse by verse, um, although we'll do that at times. I'm going to go through thread by thread. So as an example, this morning I'm starting, I'm picking up the thread of trials. In verse 2, James says we're going to meet trials of various kinds. So I'm going to take that thread and the other words in this text that are important, and I'm going to follow those words through all five chapters of James. And then when we finish the thread of trials, I'm going to come back and pick up another thread, Uh, rich and poor, um, faith and works, words and works. We'll just pick up another thread at the beginning and follow it all the way uh, through the book. Now, last week I told you that the author of the book of James is James the Just. It's Jesus' half-brother. And by uh, that half-brother, I mean they had the same mom, but they had different dads. Uh, the author of the book of James is Jesus' little brother. They shared a bedroom. They shared a bathroom, as it were. He saw all of Jesus in every way. And he says he's the Lord Jesus Christ. James uh, was not one of the 12 apostles that Jesus picked in his earthly ministry. In fact, James wasn't even a follower of Jesus during his earthly ministry. But within 10 years after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He's one of the four pillars of the New Testament biblical church James, Peter, John and Paul. So again, this is the James who defines himself in verse 1 as a servant of God and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not my older brother, but my Lord, my kurios and my christos Uh, Keep reading in verse 1 and look at how James describes or defines or identifies his audience. He says, I'm writing to the 12 tribes or to the people of God, the people of Jesus in the dispersion or in the scattering. He says, greetings, which is just a word that means rejoice. In Acts 11, we read that the church in Jerusalem was persecuted by Jews and as a result was scattered or dispersed or exiled to various and far-reaching places outside of Palestine. So James, as the leader of the church in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem staying there, is writing to his people, Jewish converts to Christianity, and and they're scattered all around the Greco-Roman world. They're folks that have lost their homes and their homelands, and they've lost family members due to persecution. They're in the midst of a Trial, and and James defines them first as the dispersed. He's going to call them brothers and sisters, which I find really ironic considering who he is. He's going to call them brothers and sisters more than any other title, but it's an appropriate title, the first title, to be about the most pervasive topic in the book, which is trials, suffering, pain, life experiences that are less than perfect. For four weeks, I think, I believe, Lord willing, for four weeks, we're going to study trials. This word, we're going to follow this word through the book of James. Uh, This week is going to be um, um, a more theoretical look at the topic of trials, a little um, whiteboardish, if you will, maybe a little too antiseptic, a little too clean, a little too high level, particularly if you're going through a trial. But next week, we're going to talk about embracing trials. We're going to talk about the experience Of trials. So I give you that heads up in advance. We'll use this exact same outline both weeks. There's five points, but I get two weeks to preach it. So this morning, two of the points are less than two minutes, okay? Five points the variety of trials, the inevitability of trials, the opportunity of trials, embracing trials, uh, and the power to embrace trials. Let's pray. Most gracious God and Heavenly Father, we are here and we ask for you to teach us. We ask for you to make our hearts ready and prepared to receive your word and your gospel and even you, Jesus. I pray this morning that you would take all the distractions in my mind and the way in which my soul feels disheveled now, and I pray that you would still be kind to use me in this sermon to teach your brothers and sisters sitting here. Lord, I do not ask for you to bless this sermon because I am worthy of it in my behavior or in my heart. I am not. I'm a man sinful as sinful can be. Even this week, I spurned you. I got angry. I did not trust you. I, I got into trials and I said, why me instead of what are you teaching me? I have violated even this text this morning but I pray by your grace and the gospel and the righteousness that is mine in Christ because you love these people that you would, in fact, teach us this morning. Whatever is not from you, may it fall away and be trampled. Whatever is from you, may it get so deep into our hearts that even if we try to pluck it out, we can't. Would you submit us and surrender us to you by your beauty and your grace and your truth? Amen. Point number one, the, the variety... The first point that's being made by this text is rather obvious. James is saying, listen, you're going to encounter a variety of trials in your life. Look at the second half of verse 2. When you meet trials of various kinds. So the word trial here in this context is referring to something external to us. It's an outward trial. It's a circumstance that comes upon us. We're going to see in a few weeks that we'll follow this word trial. And the translators will give it the translation temptation because the context is going to show that it should be given that way because it's talking about an inner enticement to sin. But this word can either mean temptation internal to us or trial external to us. And you have to look at the context of the verse to understand which is which. And of course, in real life, it starts to get muddled up really fast. But for this morning, the focus is is pretty clear. The text is talking about trials, things outside of us that infringe upon us. It says trials we meet. And James says that there are trials of various kinds. So they're not just a couple of trials out there, a couple of different bland gray trials that we might run into. But James literally says there are many colored trials in our world, various, manifold, diverse, technicolor trials that are going to meet us in life. This word for meet or, or fall among or fall into only shows up two other times in the New Testament. It's a rare word, and both of those times are going to help us understand what James means when he says that we're going to encounter a variety of trials in our life. One of those instances is Acts chapter twenty-seven. The Apostle Paul is on a boat, and he's trying uh, to to get somewhere, and the boat uh, that St. Paul is in, it says it, quote, strikes a reef. Literally, it met a reef. It fell among a reef. The experienced sailors did not intend or plan to run the ship aground, but something unforeseen to them, invisible to them, met them, and and in meeting them, it created a life-threatening trial for them that ended in great material loss. The other instance where this rare word uh, for meat comes up in the New Testament is in Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. He, he says the The traveler is journeying from Jerusalem to Jericho and that he met or he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed from him, leaving him half dead. Again, the traveler met a trial. He fell among a trial. Suffering and pain and loss was brought into his life by an external circumstance. It wasn't his sin that created this trial. It was the sin of another. Now, of course, in the grand scheme of things, uh, looking beyond our text this morning, we're going to see in the coming weeks, as we follow this thread through James, that pain and suffering and loss, it comes into our life from at least three sources. First, our sin creates dysfunction, rupture, and pain in our lives and the lives of others. Second, others sin against us and cause us pain, large and small. A traveler from Jerusalem to Jericho fell among thieves who stripped him, beat him, and left him for dead. And then third, we live in a broken, fallen, cursed world or nature, you might say, that impacts us and it causes us pain. Paul's ship strikes a reef. So from a big picture perspective, God allows pain and suffering and loss to come into our lives as a result of our sin, as a result of the sin of others, and because of the violent side of nature. But in this morning's text, James is addressing two of those three. He's talking about pain that comes into our life, not because of our sin, but because of the sin of others and nature around us. Trials lie in wait, hidden from us ready to meet us. They suddenly pounce upon us and they cause us to give out a cry of surprise and then a cry of perplexity. What is happening and why me? If you're looking for a crisp definition for trials of various kinds, it is any experience in life due to sources outside of ourself, any experience in life that is contrary to the experience God intended for us, in the Garden of Eden. Or said differently, any experience that comes into our lives from outside sources that is contrary to what we will experience in the new heaven and the new earth. Trials could be physical illness, emotional illness, mental illness, anything from allergies to ALS to Alzheimer's. Trials could be a dog that attacks. It could be an earthquake that destroys. It could be a cancerous cell that multiplies. Trials could be financial reversal, loneliness, really any poverty of any kind. It could be injury to or the death of a loved one. A trial could be credit card fraud, being hit by a drunk driver, being abused and molested by a trusted relative or friend. I don't have to keep going. You get the picture. You've experienced this reality. In our lives, we meet various manifold, technicolored Trials. And secondly, very quickly, this is one of the very short points. Not only are trials diverse and varied, but they're inevitable. Good news. Read with me one little word. My brothers, when, not if, when, you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy. So first, if you look at the broad biblical definition of a trial, every one of us is in one of them now, whether we realize it or not. Large or small. Considering the world we live in, if you're alive, you will be met by more trials in the future, whether we're willing to acknowledge them as such or not. Some will be large, and some will be small. They're inevitable. They're part of our existence on earth. Listen to 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So James says right off the bat, scattered people who are not home, this includes us, scattered people who live in exile, who live in a broken, cursed world that's being redeemed and recreated, who live in and around sinful, broken, self-absorbed people, some of which are being redeemed and recreated. Scattered people live by faith, and it is inevitable, it is certain, it is inescapable. Trials are here now and trials are in our future. And James says, when we meet them, we are to count it all joy. And this is because of point number three, the opportunity of trials. Now, I struggled trying to decide what word to use for this point because I don't want to sound trite and I don't want to sound insensitive, but James is clearly teaching that every trial has potential that I thought about calling this the fruitfulness of trials. I thought about calling this the productivity of trials. But this is why James says, count it all joy, and we're gonna unpack what that means next week, okay, when we talk about embracing trials. But he says, when we meet trials, count it all joy. And this is why, look at verse three. For, or because, or since, you know, he's like, you already know this, that the testing of your faith, So trials in verse 2 is replaced by the testing of your faith in verse 3. The testing of your faith produces. It's productive. It's fruitful. It brings about steadfastness, something we'll look at next week. And steadfastness brings about maturity and character, verse 4. And maturity and character brings about hope, verse 12. Again, ideas that we're going to look at a little bit here and more next week. The good news for us is this. (laughs) Sorry that I have to call it good news. The good news given by James is that these inevitable various trials are good for us in the long run. They're opportunities. They have the potential to bear fruit and to be productive in at least these three ways. They can refine our faith. They over time can give us the assurance of faith and they can produce godly character okay? So trials can be productive in these three ways. They refine our faith, they give us assurance of faith, and they can produce godly character. First opportunity, the first potential result of a trial is the refining of our faith. Look at verse 3 you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Testing is is probably better translated the refining of your faith, the purifying of your faith. One thing that a trial can do is this. It can reveal to us what we have faith in, what we have our trust in, what we believe will bring us life. In our heads, we may say with the psalmist, if I have Jesus, I have all I need, but a trial will reveal to us the extent to which we really believe that. The loss of income, the loss of a job, the loss of reputation, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a lover through death or infidelity, uh, the the loss of anything that we find valuable, that loss has the capacity to reveal to us how much we look to that thing for our identity and for our life apart from Jesus. When when God orchestrates trials or he allows trials into our lives, it's often to show us what we actually have our faith in. In? What are we looking for for life and salvation, joy and hope? And by taking that thing away, which will not ultimately satisfy us in the long run, God, through incredible pain, is showing us the sufficiency of Himself and He's increasing our faith. He's purifying our faith. He's refining our trust in Him because He's taken away from us one of the things that we trust in. One of the things trials does is it strips us of idols where we take good things. And ascribe them ultimate value. The second opportunity or potential result of a trial is the assurance. Now, this one's a little less obvious, but stay with me. Uh, We read in City Bible reading last week in Luke chapter 8 the famous parable of the sower. And he says that the sower scatters or he throws seeds into four different places. And then the seed in the parable represents biblical truth It's, it's the gospel, it's Jesus. The seed is the word which is Jesus. And so the seed is scattered into four places. First, some seed fell among the path, and it was trampled underfoot, and it was devoured by birds. And Jesus says later in the same chapter, this represents folks who hear the gospel but don't believe because Satan comes and takes the word away from their hearts. Second, some feed uh, seed, excuse me fell among the rocks, and as it grew up, it withered away because its roots found no moisture. We're gonna come back to this second reality in a second. It's the point I'm gonna try and make. Third, some seed uh, fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked or restricted the plant. And Jesus says that these folks do bear fruit, but they do not reach complete fruitfulness due to the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And then fourth, he says, some seed fell into good soil representing those who hear the word and hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and they bear a hundredfold type fruit. And he says, with patience, which is the word for steadfastness. Now back to our second group. The seed among the rocks where no roots were able to grow and the plant died due to a lack of moisture. Listen to what Jesus says about them and his explanation of the parable. Parable. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root, symbolizing no faith in Jesus. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, Greek word for trial, in a time of trialing, they fall away. Now, I admit it's moderately odd that I went to this passage to talk about assurance of faith. But if you will get some experiences under your belt, if you'll weather a few storms, at some point, that reality of verse 13, which is true about others and not true of yourself, that reality of verse 13 that might speak to others but doesn't necessarily describe you, that reality will give you a humble, grateful sense of confidence that you're still in the game, that you're still holding on to the promises of God that your faith and my faith may be like the, the dad in the gospel of Mark that says, I believe, but help my unbelief. But at least there's belief. There's faith. There's a root in Jesus for life. And that faith is being refined and purified through the same trial that gives assurance. Weathering storms over time produces the assurance of faith. The third opportunity or the potential result of trials is the production of godly character. Uh, Look at the end of verse 3. Trials in the life of the believer produce steadfastness. Now keep going. And let steadfastness have its full effect. We're going to look at that, let steadfastness next week. That's what I mean by embracing a trial. Let steadfastness have its full effect. Let it reach its end. Let it do its full work so that you may be perfect, uh, mature, whole. You may be complete. You may lack in nothing. Because trials purify our faith and refine our faith, they also produce more character because character flows from faith. I can't fully understand it. I cannot really articulate it. I know that I've experienced it. The Bible teaches that trials are God's designed way forward. One commentator said it this way, for a believer, there is no trial, no great calamity, no small pressure, no overwhelming sorrow, no small rub of life that is outside the plan of God, and each and every trial is a stepping stone to glory. Each and every trial is a stepping stone to glory. I would say even this. Trials are not a way for God to mature us. Trials are the way that God matures us. Listen to this quote by Malcolm Muggeridge. I wish I could attribute it to someone else, but I can't. It's a great, great quote. Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful. I look back on them with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my experience has been brought through affliction and not through happiness. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know that I fully believe it, but I've experienced it. Trials refine our faith And give us assurance in Jesus and character flows through the fire of trial. I have a friend in another city, a relative actually, and I've watched him become mature. I've watched him become more complete through trials. He was always incredibly enjoyable, always really fun to be around. He always laughed. He always caused others to laugh. Everything this man touched turned to pure gold, very wealthy, willing to share his money and his toys with anyone. But the truth is this, and I didn't know it until recently when I looked back on it. The time that I had with this relative was rarely redemptive, never profound, never deep. The time that I would spend with him because he had lots of money and toys was a lot, but that time was lost time. It was not painful, but it was not beneficial either. But then the inevitable trials came into this man's life. The economy tanked. His children started to experience trouble and rebellion. His wife admitted that she was done playing house and she was out unless he could figure out how to have a real relationship with her. Seems as though my experience was not unique. Uh, The friends would dry up due to the lack of fun and the lack of toys and, and, and there were no more trips to go on. And I noticed the last time I was with this relative of mine that I was drawn to him. I was learning from him. I wanted to ask him questions first time in our relationship. I wanted to be with him. I was willing and desiring to gain from whatever would come from him in the relationship. It was it was being with him in this trial and right after some of the trials had come to an end that I realized that our relationship before was so thin and so surfacey and so wasteful. What happened? steadfastness was being forged into the fabric of his existence by trials. And he was learning to lean into the trial and thereby let steadfastness have its full effect. And God was transforming him and is transforming him right in front of my eyes. His life is so rich, so full, so rewarding now, so poor. Everything is not better. And I don't think some of the trials he's in have an end in sight unless Jesus comes back. But this man is now real. He's human. He's mature. He's complete. He's increasing to that place where he lacks in nothing. Next week, we're gonna consider this, how embracing of trials produces steadfastness and maturity. But now I just want you to listen. I don't like it. I don't wanna say it. I wish it were another way, but it's the consistent theme of Scripture that character develops in trials. Romans 5, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Same word as steadfastness. And steadfastness produces character. So there's great, great potential in those trials that we meet in life, So to review, as a transition into embracing trials, the fourth point, James is promising us pain in our lives. He's promising us that to one degree or another, our stories are going to be filled with trials, tears, tragedies, shipwrecks, robberies. But, but according to James and according to the scriptures, trials... So we're talking about those painful experiences brought to us that are not sourced from within us. These trials are incredible opportunities. They have the potential to mature us. But you have to know this if you're having a rough go of it right now or if you've been through trials in the past. Trials do not automatically mature us in the faith. They have to be ironically met by us in a particular way to the degree that we will meet trials in the way I'm gonna tell you with James this week and next, to the extent that we will meet trials in this way, it is that to that degree that our faith is refined, to that degree our confidence increases, to that degree that our character grows. Trials only are opportunities. They only have potential. They they have to be embraced in order to bear fruit. They have to be uh, purchased in order to bring benefit to our lives. The call in James 1 and the book of James is not simply to endure And passively submit to trials, but it's in fact to embrace them and to proactively uh, receive them, if you will. Now, this is a commercial for next week. This is a commercial for what we're going to talk about next week. All of next week is pretty much chapter four drawn out. This is a commercial. This week, sort of the nature of trials. Next week, the experience. Of trials, but in advance, James is going to give us, uh, he's going to teach us how to embrace trials. He, he's going to show us how to make the most of trials by giving us instruction for our heads, direction to our wills, and communication to our hearts. Very quickly, a commercial, a trailer, instruction for our heads, our minds. He, he's going to engage us in a mental activity. Look at verse 2 with me. This is how to buy a trial. Count it all joy. There's something for our minds. He says, count it all joy. We're gonna look next week at the reality and please don't miss this part because I don't want you going out of here beating yourself up. He does not say experience all joy. He does not say repent towards all joy. He says, count it. It's a word from the field of accounting. He says, appraise it as something that will produce all joy when you get to the other side of it. And next, we're going to study James' direction to our wills. We're going to unpack the word steadfastness that James says this is what produces is produced by trials in a believer, and that if we let it, if we allow it to have its full effect, it, it makes amazing character for us. It's a compound word. It's the combination of two words. It, it's hopomone, which means hyper stand. It's an active standing up under and into a trial. I'll talk about the picture of of a young child trying to stay in one spot while standing in the ocean, fighting the undertow and waves crashing upon them. That will be next week. Hyperstand. And and finally, we'll add verses five through eight, not in our text this morning, and we're gonna see that James gives us a communication strategy for our hearts. He teaches us how to pray through Trials, okay? So for our minds, our wills, and our hearts. Um, now, so before the final point, if you're in a city group this week, you're going to discuss this reality together. You're going to realize that right now I'm standing here that that the future is this is me in the future over here, and whether I like it or not, between me and, and the future me is a box of various trials. And so we're going to begin to better understand what James means by various kinds of trials by listing the trials that we have been through, the trials that we're in now, and maybe the trials that God has given us the ability to see coming in the future unless he intervenes. So we'll talk about this reality of here I am, that's where I'm going, and here is the inevitable box of trials in my future. And we're going to talk about what does it look like um, to to just name our trials, to just be really clear about what they are. What does it look like to begin to say, I have to embrace those trials? Or the me on the other side of the box might be one in despair or one in uh, insurmountable doubt. How do I get through this trial as a mature, more confident, more faithful believer. So we'll just begin to talk with one another about the trials in our lives, uh, kind of at a high level. And we'll begin to commit to one another that we're going to embrace these trials together in the future as we move forward. But before we draw the sermon to a close, I want to say just a couple of things that I'll, um, again, Um, elaborate upon next week about where does the power come from for us to embrace trials. In, In order to do this, I want to tell you a little bit more about Brother James, the author's life. Remember how I said that James was one of the four pillars of the New Testament church In the first century, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. In fact, when the Jerusalem Council happens in the book of Acts and all the other pillars are there, it's James that calls the meeting to order and helps to make the decision. It's argued that he's the most powerful man, most influential man in the church. He writes the first New Testament book. And this is what we know about James's death. About twenty years after writing this to the scattered people of God, around 62 A.D., scribes and Pharisees at the time of the Passover. We know this from three different historians uh, taking an account of the apostles' lives. Uh, he is there in Jerusalem, and, and the scribes and Pharisees come to him. And there's all kinds of folks there, and they're gathering in for the Passover. And many people are being converted by the truth about who Jesus is and what he had done. And he found himself in the middle of a horrific trial, if you will. The leaders of the Jerusalem religion took him to the pinnacle of the temple, and it was if not thousands of people below him. They said, deny Jesus and tell all of these people that it's a hoax and tell them to not to convert to Christ as Lord. And they said, if you do not, you will die. And James opened his mouth and he took his own teaching to heart and he hyper stood and he said this, Jesus Christ sits at the he- in heaven at the right hand of God Almighty and he will one day come to the- on the clouds of heaven to judge the living and the dead. And the scribes and the Pharisees pushed him off the highest point of the temple, not killing him, but maiming him. And so they went down to the ground and stoned him. Steadfast, under trial. Not only taught it in 45 AD, but he lived it in 62 AD. Now, as touching and as potentially inspiring as that story might be, I don't tell you that for you to tap into for the power to be steadfast. I tell you that about the end of his life and I wanna tell you now about the beginning. I want to, as Paul Harvey would say, tell you the rest of the story. What did James see and experience to get to that place in his life, a place of steadfastness, perseverance, endurance? I said before that he was not a follower James was not a follower of Jesus during his earthly ministry. In fact, the Gospels tell us that James and his other siblings were quite cynical towards Jesus. When Jesus was in his hometown around his family, he was unable to perform miracles due to the extent of their unbelief. It says that Mark, in Mark, that James' siblings, I'm sorry, Jesus' siblings, James included, they wanted to arrest him and control him because he was shaming and dishonoring the family. It says in the Gospel of John that Jesus' siblings, James included, would mock him, ridicule him, deride him. As far as we know, Jesus is at the cross without his siblings, James included. No one there to support him, to defend him, to encourage him, to love him. And as you know, history clearly attests to the reality that after three days, Jesus was bodily raised from the dead. God and his power brought him back to life. And the Bible records that Jesus appeared to hundreds, if not thousands of people in his resurrected body. And you know, there's only one person who Jesus met with as an individual. One the Bible records Jesus meeting with groups of people until then. He, he met with Mary, but there were other women there. It mentions Thomas, but the disciples were in the room. One person got a one-on-one visit with Jesus, and you know who it is, don't you? It was James the Just. It says in First Corinthians 15 that he appeared to James, and then Paul makes it very clear. After that, then he appeared to the rest of the apostles. Now, I've said this before, I hope that there's a theater in heaven. I want to see various events of biblical and redemptive history as they happened. I think it would be utterly amazing. This one-on-one meeting between Jesus and James is one that I want to see. What does the true, ultimate older brother say to his younger brother who mocked him, disowned him, tried to control him? I don't know what he said. But whatever he said, it was powerful enough for James to go from cynicism and unbelief and doubt to the kind of man that says you're gonna go through trials and when you do remain steadfast under those trials and if you do that, you'll become mature and one day blessed you will be, verse 12, blessed you will be if you stand up under those trials because Jesus himself is gonna give you the crown of life and you're gonna be able to persevere and endure if you love him. What is the power to bring about this kind of steadfastness in the midst of a variety of trials? It's grace. It's forgiveness. It's healing. It's reconciliation. It's relationship with God by sheer grace through the death of God himself in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what he saw in Jesus that day, but I wonder if Hebrews 12.2 begins to capture it. He looked to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of his faith, who for the joy, all joy that was set before him, hoopo mainode steadfastness at the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, I don't know how it went down, but it radically changed his life. And that is what will give us the same power to endure the trials. Let's pray.